Have you heard about the change happening across the U.S.? Christ followers are realizing there's a financial institution that aligns with their Christian values and switching to Christian Community Credit Union. They're America's number one biblical banking institution committed to advancing the gospel and providing members highly competitive offers, including high-yield checking and CD accounts, a 1.5% cash-back credit card, and more. It's time to bank with your values. Join Christian Community Credit Union today. Learn more at joinchristiancommunity.com. That's joinchristiancommunity.com. Membership eligibility required. Each account is insured up to $250,000. This institution is not federally insured. In Mark 10, 7, Jesus tells us a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Hi, I'm Rob West. Does becoming one extend to the checkbook? Put another way, should husband and wife have joint or separate checking accounts? I'll talk about that first today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Regular listeners know that this is a question we get fairly often on the program, and it's especially important for couples when they first get married. Usually, they just set up joint checking and savings accounts, and it's really not an issue, but not always. Sometimes older folks, maybe getting married for the second time, want to keep their accounts separate, or one spouse might enter into the marriage with a lot of debt or a bad credit rating. They think that by keeping separate accounts, one spouse's bad history won't affect the other. That's because they've heard that when two people marry, their credit histories are automatically merged into one by the credit reporting agencies, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. But that's not the case. In fact, each spouse's credit history is tied only to that person's social security number. If one of them applies for credit and his or her name only, only that person's credit history is taken into account. Here's an example. Uh, newlyweds decide to buy a new car with a loan. Usually not a good idea, but that's another case. Now, say one of the spouses has good credit, the other doesn't. If they take out a loan only in the name of the spouse with the good score, only that person's credit history comes into play. So you see that having joint or separate bank accounts has no effect on getting that loan. But let's look at another situation. Many couples take a huge financial step within a few years of marriage, and that's buying a house. Now, the odds are, because the payments will be so much more, that they'll have to put both names on the loan application in order to meet income qualifications. And of course, that's when the other spouse's credit history will be taken into consideration. If that spouse has a bad credit history, it will have a negative effect on getting the mortgage approved. Now that that's cleared up, let's go back to the question of separate or joint bank accounts. The Bible doesn't tell us whether spouses should share one account because people didn't have bank accounts back then. So we have to look at the bigger picture. As Jesus said in Mark 10, marriage is about two people becoming one. Obviously, they both remain individuals, but marriage is a partnership that requires trust, openness, and communication. That's especially true when it comes to finances. Joint checking and savings accounts promote transparency and communication between spouses. It prevents spouses from developing a mine-and-yours mentality. It also promotes trust by ensuring that neither is making hidden purchases. 
There are some other practical considerations as well. A joint account simplifies bookkeeping and tracking your spending. A lot of couples have trouble balancing one checking account. Why double the problem with two? Having separate accounts can also create a cash flow problem. Are there enough available funds in one account to meet obligations? If not, money has to be transferred from the other account. With a single checking account, you don't have to worry about not having enough money to pay a bill or trying to track down the other checkbook. Now, an argument that's often made for keeping separate accounts is that one spouse is only interested in, say, the grocery category in the budget and leaves everything else to the other spouse to be handled with a separate account. But that, of course, would leave the one spouse fairly clueless about the family finances if something should happen to the other. Not a good idea. Both spouses should have a good understanding of the overall financial picture. Frequent money conversations can ensure that happens. Keeping open the lines of communication about money and making spending decisions together means one spouse won't be left in the dark. You know, God's Word contains the solution to every problem married couples face, including finances. In Colossians 3, we read, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And 1 Corinthians says, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. Safe to say that in most cases, that would apply to their checking account as well. You know, in this area of finance, this is so critical that we strive for unity. God's design for marriage is, of course, oneness, and that includes finances. So maybe this is the month you should start your monthly money date to offer course corrections, no finger pointing, but to make sure you're on the same page with regard to your finances. I think it'll really help. All right, your calls are next, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. Stick God has entrusted his finances to you, and we at FaithFi have designed our FaithFi app to help you live, give, owe, and grow with that perspective. Our FaithFi app is the leading biblically-based finance app. You can manage your money, get top biblical financial resources, and interact with a community of like-minded believers where you can ask questions, get answers, and share what you're learning. Go to faithfi.com and click the word app to get started. We are grateful for support from Sound Mind Investing in the Faith and Finance program. If you have money in a retirement account or just a general investing account, you know the stock market can sometimes seem like a roller coaster. But it is possible to enjoy both profit and peace of mind in investing, no matter what's happening in the market. You can see a short video webinar on that topic at soundmindinvesting.org. Since 1990, Soundmind Investing has sought to offer financial wisdom for living well. Soundmindinvesting.org. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions. 800-525-7000. Hey, have you checked out the FaithFi app? We think it's the very best way to manage God's money and stay on top of your finances throughout the month using the tried and true envelope system in a modern, simple, digital form. If you'd like to check it out, head to our website, faithfi.com. That's faithfi.com and click app. All right, to the phones we go, 800-525-7000. The calls are coming in, but we still have room for you at the moment, so we'd love to hear from you. To Chicago, hi, Paris. How can I help? Okay, so um, I'm kind of like in a 
uh, kind of like uh, in an issue. So my dad, um, he wants to buy a house. And he got to apply for a loan. But however, the thing that's holding him back is um, he's paying like for my mom's car note. And so the person that told him about it, he, um, oh my God, okay. Um, <laughs> no problem. So he tried to ac- apply for a mortgage and they said that the loan that he's on with your mom for her car is holding him back. Yes. And he wants, okay. he's, he asked me to co-sign for my mom so he can, so he can get, so he can get, um, completely approved for the mortgage. So, mm. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing it, but i you know, I have, I have, I have student loans and then I'm trying to get my own place as well. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, don't know what to do with, with this situation. Is it, yeah. should I go, should I do it? Should I, should I not do it? Like, Sure. Well, the Bible is pretty clear on this one, Paris. I mean, the Bible says we shouldn't co-sign is the bottom line. Now, that doesn't apply to a husband and wife, in my view, uh, because we should join our finances in marriage. So God's goal uh, for marriage is unity and to become one flesh in every area, including our finances. So I wouldn't see that as a co-signing situation like the Bible is speaking to. But apart from that, which includes family co-signing beyond the marriage, uh, the Bible's pretty clear. We just shouldn't do it. And the reason is we're allowing somebody to uh, buy something that really they can't afford. There's reasons why folks are unable to get loans. And uh, what backs that up is just the reality. The Federal Trade Commission tells us that 40 to 50% of the time where you co-sign for someone, you will have to step in and make those payments unless you want your credit to be trashed. So I would take a step back and say, why is it that the bank is concerned about this. And if they are concerned, that tells me that your dad's trying to qualify for a loan that he really can't afford because when when they're factoring uh, what they call debt to income and they're looking at this car on top of the, the house mortgage that he's wanting to get, they're saying the numbers, the ratios just don't make sense based on the credit um, that they want to extend and the income that your dad and mom have available, which gives me concern that you're going to essentially make this happen for them, but it's setting them up for failure because they probably really can't afford what it is they're seeking at the end of the day, which I realize is a hard conversation that you probably don't want to have. But at the end of the day, I think it's the right move. So the question is, how do you navigate that in love, letting your parents know, hey, I'm here for you. I want to do everything I can for you. But at the same time, the Bible's pretty clear that I shouldn't be co-signing. And so uh, I think we need to find another way for you to go about this. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yeah. So I realize I'm not giving you the solution because it there really isn't one just based on what we know today. We would need to get them to take a harder look at this and, you know, perhaps get with somebody like an advisor or some sort of financial coach, maybe at, at your church or at their church to kind of bring a, an objective third party look at this just to see how much mortgage are they looking to take on and why is it that the bank is not comfortable with that given this car loan and just help them navigate this in a 
way that's responsible and is manageable for them moving forward. Because the last thing we would want, Paris, is for you to help them get into a loan they really can't afford. And now all of a sudden, not only is your credit in jeopardy, but their financial life is in jeopardy as well. And even, you know, perhaps repossession on a car they can't afford or worse, a foreclosure on a home. So I would uh, I would be hesitant for you to proceed here. And I'd encourage you to either uh, ask them if they would let you help to take a look at the situation or if they could bring in somebody else to look at it and see exactly why the bank is saying no and what um, steps they need to take to move forward here to get on a, a more solid financial footing. I hope that helps you. Thanks for your call today. We'll ask the Lord to give you some wisdom as you navigate this. Uh, to Jody in Indianapolis. Hi, Jody. Go ahead. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I am 70 and retired. Uh, I have a little over $100,000 to my name. Uh, I have a car note, which is 14000 and I, I work about three days a week to try to pay that off. But I was wondering, uh, I live in an apartment. Is it wise for me to buy a condo with all this inflation and all these runaway prices on these houses and condos? Or should I just continue to live in rent an apartment, maybe like a size down, one bedroom yeah. or something like that? I don't know what to do at this point because I don't have a great deal of money. And $100,000 these days is just like heaven, $50. <laughs> yes, I understand. This housing market has been wild. I will say, though, Jody, first of all, age really isn't a factor in deciding whether to buy a house, in my view. You may find it's actually cheaper to own a home than to rent it, as is in the case of some areas. That's really the reality. Um, you know, if you have enough for a down payment, then the only other questions are, can you afford the payment on the house you want to buy? And are you able to take care of the property? Obviously, there's less upkeep with a condo than with a single family home, but you just need to factor in all the other expenses that go into it to make sure that it truly fits into your budget. You know, usually we would look at this and say, okay, you'd need 20% as a down payment. Um, so that would be the first question. Do you have that much saved up for the, the type of condo you'd be looking to buy and the, the purchase price? And and then would the payment, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, all of the those pieces that go to the mortgage company, could you keep that at under 25%, no more than 30% of your take-home pay? And because of what's been happening with rental prices, again, as long as you have that down payment, you may find it's a little more cost-effective to buy here. But you're just going to have to count the cost and look at it. The only other thing I would say is we're entering into and really are in a much better environment for a buyer uh, than we've been in the last several years. You know, we've come out of a raging seller's market where people were paying, you know, 20 plus percent premiums over market value to get into homes. And now we've kind of flipped. And although I don't see the housing market declining significantly, um, it is more of a buyer's market in the sense that, you know, you can actually negotiate and you could have contingencies and you're probably not going to be paying the full list price, but maybe something slightly lower than that. So for all those reasons, there's actually an opportunity, you know, to buy right now and be in a better situation than you have been previously. But give me your thoughts on all that. Well, I do get... $3,500 a month. I, I think I get 33 now a month for my Social yeah. Security because I waited late to retire. So yeah. 
you know, as long as Social Security is okay, stable, you know, yeah. I'll get that every month. Okay. And do you have the down payment? I do have the down payment. Okay. All right. Well, then I think you definitely ought to take a look at it again because rental prices are so high, sky high right now. I'd get a, a realtor in your area to help you start to look at what your options are and work through the numbers and see how it fits into your budget. Hang on the line. We'll talk more off the air. We'll be right back. God's word is packed with life-changing wisdom about your finances. And Faith and Finance is here to help you and many others to be wise stewards of God's resources. We rely on help from Faith and Finance patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Please consider becoming a monthly Faith and Finance patron. Visit faithfi.com and click Give on the homepage. If the heavy burden of debt is robbing you of freedom and peace of mind, Christian Credit Counselors can help. We're a nationwide nonprofit credit counseling organization that has helped over 300,000 individuals in the last 27 years get out of credit card debt 80% faster while honoring that debt in full. To learn how Christian Credit Counselors can help you, visit ChristianCreditCounselors.org. That's ChristianCreditCounselors.org or call 800-557-1985. I'm so glad you joined us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West, your host, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you as we take your calls and questions from all across the country. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Uh, to Susan in Florida, WKZM, go ahead. Oh, hello. Oh, Hi. I just wanted to ask a question about um, home equity line of credit. Yeah. If um, it is a good idea for a backup um, to have in case one would need some money. I mean, I have a, a savings account that includes my emergency fund and I don't have any debt per se. Um, but I'm, yeah. I, I was just a little hesitant about it because I don't like to have any debt and I know it's not debt. It's a line of credit, but then if I had to use it, it would be debt. It would so I'm be. Not yeah. Having, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm not having peace about it, but I'm, I'm also um, not wanting fear to get in the way of of yeah. um, decision making. Well, yeah. I would reinforce that idea. I would I would stay away from that. I mean, it, even if, if you had to use it, I'd rather you find another means to fund whatever it is that came up. It's going to be a variable interest rate, which I don't like. The fact that you're going to set it up, even if you don't use it, there's going to be costs involved in you setting up the loan, even the, the line of credit, even if you don't tap it. And if you got into a real bind, I wouldn't want you to put more money against your house. I'd want you to, you know, really buckle down so you could keep your house, not, you know, put more money against it, which is going to, you know, increase the, uh, the amount that you owe each month just by servicing that line of credit. So I think as long as you've got a fully funded emergency fund, you've got some stable income, Susan, I wouldn't look at that house. Equity is burning a hole in your pocket. I'd be glad you have it. And let's look to get that thing paid off, not look for ways to tap into it. Does that make sense? I don't. Ha- yeah, but I don't have a mortgage. I don't have any. Pay- oh, I don't okay. have so a- you own it free and clear. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think that's yeah. a great place to be. So here's the thing. If something got, you know, really out of whack and you had a major expense, uh, I wouldn't like to put that against the house anyway, because uh, that's going to, you know, that's secured now to your domicile. And if something happened and you were unable to pay it, now you're putting your home that was free and clear in jeopardy. So I, I would uh, be completely comfortable with you just owning that free and clear, not having a line of credit on it, not bearing the cost of opening that line of credit, because uh, I wouldn't want you to use it even if you had it. So I'd probably pass if it were me. To Missouri we go. Hi, Mary. Thanks for your patience. Go ahead. Well, I have a chance to to move out of my house. I've been in this house for a long time, a good 30 years. And, you know, I've been thinking I would like to have a change. But, you know, I really I'm kind of afraid to sell my house. But uh, anyway, I have a chance to move uh, over there uh, nearby. It's into another state, not too far from here. Uh, where my son is, and so I had thought about it, and, and we're thinking, okay, that'd be a really good move for me. It'd be, you know, good, you know, something else to do with my life. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. But okay. at the same time, I'm afraid to give up my house because, you know, we hear about hard times coming. My house is paid off. Yes, ma'am. If I get over there and something happens, you know, where. Where am I going to be at? Where would he be at? You know, we'd have to. I'm always. Yes. See, I, I know a few homeless people right now. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, really... let's let's break that down a little bit um, in, in terms of thinking about, you know, the possible scenarios here and just helping you make a, a wise decision. So you're feeling led at this point to relocate uh, to this other state. So if you're going to do that, then you'd need to sell this home, which it happens, Mary, to be a pretty good time to sell a house. You know, we're coming off of a, a really hot housing market that was firmly a seller's market. People were paying through bidding wars premiums over the market asking price, you know, of 10, 20, 30% above the list price on houses. And they were getting sold out from under them, you know, in 24 hours with multiple bids coming in. That's all changed uh, in the last six months because of the higher mortgage rates and a looming recession and just a general cooling in the housing market, which has made it uh, still a good time to sell because housing prices are still high. We haven't really seen much of a decline. We've had a, a slowing in the growth rate. We haven't really seen much of a decline in housing prices. And houses on average in this country are selling at 97 or 98% of the list price. So it's still a great time to sell, even though it's moved more to a buyer's market, which just means that if you're you know, relocating to another market, you should be able to pull a, a lot of equity out of this house that you own free and clear, um, get the benefit of the increase in the value of the home that you've seen over a long period of time. But when you then move, if you were to buy something also for cash, so you no longer, so you don't have a mortgage on it, it's a better time now to buy than it was, you know, even several months ago, just because, uh, you know, the, the environment is a little more favorable right now for buyers. So I don't think it's a bad time at all. And basically you'd be moving from one free and clear home to another free and clear home. Uh, but give me your thoughts on that. And were you thinking about doing something different? Well, yes, um, getting into an apartment, I guess. But, um, you know, I just don't want to waste my money on an apartment. Yeah. I don't know why I feel like it's a waste, but... 
Yeah. Well, if you have the ability to buy a home free and clear, I kind of agree with you. You know, you can take advantage of the increase in the value of that property over time. And rental prices tend to be still very high right now. Um, and so, you know, with high rent rates, uh, I like the idea of you, you know, buying that home. Um, you know, but the average rent in the United States in the 50 most populous city has increased 23% since 2020. Um, and it's pretty flat in the last six months, which means it's still at the high end of that range. So uh, I would agree with you. Now, are you and your, are you planning to move in together or just relocate to the same area? I believe relocate in okay. the same area. Yeah, so I, I think as long as you have enough time to get to know the area well and where you'd like to live and what part of town and, and you feel like you know that you're going to stay there for at least five to seven years, then I would say go ahead and, and buy something. Uh, if you're unsure of that, you feel like, well, I don't know where I'd want to settle and I may not be, I may not like it. And if you think that there's a reason why you may move within, you know, prior to five to seven years, well, then I'd rent because you don't want to uh, pay all the transaction costs of buying a home in this new state uh, only to turn around and sell it. That would be very expensive. But if you feel like you know enough based on everything you know today that you're going to be there a while, then I don't know why you wouldn't just go ahead and buy something and then you're not, you know, throwing your money away on rent when you don't have to. So I, I think that's really the decision. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Make it a matter of prayer, Mary. Spend the next couple of weeks just asking the Lord to give you a, a piece about one direction or the other. Second, I'd start, uh, you know, maybe visit on your next trip to visit. Get a realtor and start looking at what housing prices cost and where you'd like to live. Thirdly, I'd really think honestly and hard about whether you believe when you make this move that you're going to be there for at least five to seven years. And if all those things line up, then I think that might be a, a good indication that this is a, a good direction for you to go. Thanks for your call today. Well, folks, uh, we are about out of time today. Uh, thank you for being here. Come back and join us tomorrow, will you? I'll be here. We'll look for you then. God bless you. Bye-bye. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.